0: Hey, this is Ed Stetzer, and this is Ed Stetzer Live. Of course, this is every Saturday. We have conversations, gosh, about our day, about our culture, about, well, today we're going to talk about relationships and all kinds of other things. And so, uh, you know, the reality is it's become a really hard, challenging time for um, relationships. And again, it's, it's in the context of our broader culture. I get that. But the reality is um, there's strain in lots of different places, and even as we're kind of now looking forward into the fall, into getting closer to Thanksgiving when families get together. And uh, we, we all know that there's going to be some, uh, some strain and some challenges with neighbors and more. People have strong opinions and social media has become a train wreck. And oh my, there's a lot going on. So I really love the title of the book we're going to talk about today. Let me tell you the title and I'm going to introduce the guest. It's I'll See You Tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience when you want to quit. love that, right? So we're going to talk some about that. We have two guests today. We usually have one, so we're excited to have two. I happen to know these folks have had dinner with them, appreciate them. Let's talk about who they are. Heather Thompson Day is associate professor in the Department of Visual Arts, Communication and Design at Andrews University uh, in Michigan. She runs an online community called I'm That Wife hosts the viral Jesus podcast, uh, author of several books including I'll See you tomorrow, uh, Building Relational Resilience when you want to Quit. Contributor of Religion News Service Newsweek, Barna Group, uh, and used to teach at Colorado Christian University, which is when I saw Heather and Seth last time. Seth Day, they're obviously married. It's Seth and Heather Day. Uh, they, he's been a pastor and a campus chaplain. His backgrounds in human service counseling and ministry. I think brings an important component to the book here that they co-wrote together. And again, it's I'll See You Tomorrow. <laughs> which I think is a great title, uh, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit. So it's kind of tricky because there's two of you on the call, and we're not like in a room together. So normally in a room together, I'd look over at Seth or I'd look over at Heather. But So in this case, I probably have to ask you individually these questions so uh, so we know. So you wrote the book collaboratively as a culture. Seth, I wouldn't mind. Uh, let's start with you. Uh, can you tell us how your different backgrounds and training combined to make the book Uh, unique. We'll start with Seth, and then Heather, just jump in after him and share that as well.
1: Yeah, so my background, during the time we were writing the book, I was pastoring, so I think I bring a little bit of that, a strong voice of the pastoral experience into it, um, and also my stories are throughout every other chapter, as we took turns writing uh, every other chapter. So, Uh, and then Heather is going to share a little bit about her voice, so I come from the pastoral and personal experience in the book.
2: I think also a really important thing to know is I am extremely extroverted and I teach communication. I absolutely, (laughs) I love people and I can't get enough. And so when I was telling Seth, I want to write a book about the power and the importance of relationships, because I've been studying this for over a decade, his response Hmm. really quickly to me was, Heather, it's not that easy. And so True. I really wanted his insight on this as somebody who's much more introverted, has experienced a lot more pain and trauma than I have, to kind of explain why some people are feeling like they don't need relationship anymore and they'd rather do this thing on their own, which is antithetical mm-hmm. to how I see life. So that's why I wanted our two voices together on this.
0: Love that. Okay, so, so I know you're an extrovert, Heather. So, and so Seth, are, 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 you, are we saying here that you're an introvert? Or more absolutely no okay. absolutely okay, listen if I'm
1: done teaching a class or something, I walk away and I just want to go hide in solitude <laughs> and I love doing it but then I need to go recharge before the next the next uh, public event so
0: yeah so so i'm I'm in a uh, marriage of that so of that mix you know so I'm I'm, you may have noticed I'm kind of an extrovert, uh, and Donna's an introvert. And so very much the dynamic, though reverse. you know, and husband and wife, wife sure. and husband, though reverse there. But I will tell you that that's why I think uh, one of the reasons that I think I find the book so interesting is, I guess, knowing you two to some degree. Uh, I know Heather mm-hmm. better. I've been on her podcast, a few other things. But, but to see um, the differences between the two of you. I think is an important, uh, important thing. Okay, but, but right now, I mean, it's 2022, and the world's on fire, and everybody's mad. And mm. why in the world has—why uh, why are you weighed in on a relational book uh, when really everyone seems to be wanting to not have relationships with people who are different and things of that sort? Why that direction?
2: Well, I, I think as Christians, we have no choice. Right, We get grafted into this ministry of reconciliation, as we know in uh, Corinthians. But so I think as my background in communication, I have spent the last 10 years really immersing myself in research on the power of relationships Mm. and how important they are to our lives. So just one example of this is that a team of researchers wanted to study the effect of conflict, let's say in people's lives. So they brought in 42 married couples into a hospital, and they created several small wounds on their arms. And then they placed a device over their wounds to measure the rate of healing. And what they found is that couples who reported having hostility in their relationships took twice as long for the wounds to heal than those who didn't, right? So I tell my students all the time, this is not just something that's, affecting us emotionally. Our relationships are affecting us physically, and so we have to figure this out. It is worth
0: our energy. Yeah, the body it's keeps different. the score, as the as the book said. Seth, please add, add to that.
1: Yeah, I was just going to add, um, there's a Dr. Jen Vulcan uh, on Twitter, if you look her up, but she has a tweet that is just constantly coming back to me, and she says, trauma changes the brain, but so does healing. And this book is important because people have hurt us so we want to shy away but also people are the way that we heal as well Mm -hmm. and so we need people to heal even though we may have been hurt by them and that's why this book is important to add to heather
0: Fascinating. People are the way that we heal. Heather, you're—I uh, mean—you're more active on Twitter than well, you're more—I was going to say than Seth, but you're more active on Twitter than everybody. So you're <laughs> out there tweeting. You're—you're <laughs> uh, you're the Twitter engager par excellence. Um, but you put out this tweet, and of course, I, I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but I retweeted it, and I really liked that you said, "You know, not everyone's a narcissist, not everyone's this," because right now Twitter seems to basically create just i mean gosh if everyone was as terrible as people say they are on twitter then everybody's terrible um so mm. it appears that we are boiling people down to maybe their worst characteristic or, or maybe maybe not even that maybe just to a caricature of who they who they are but relationships they take a whole lot more work than that you're not you're, you don't seem to be piling on to the every everyone's bad on twitter so is there a better way do relationships help us with this better way
2: I'm so glad that you said that because I'm really passionate about reminding people that words mean things. We have to be very careful with our language. One, your brain is listening to you. Your brain actually will have a physiological response based on the words you say. So be very careful what you say. And also I fear That if we constantly say everybody's a narcissist or everything is toxic simply because somebody disagrees with me, then what we're doing is we're making it where there's actually toxic environments or actually narcissistic behaviors, and we don't even recognize them anymore. They lose Mm -hmm. their intensity because we've lumped everything in with it. So I'm not saying that those things aren't true. I'm saying everything is not something, and there's a difference, and let's be honest about that difference.
0: Yeah, there are toxic places, there are narcissists, we would we would say that. Seth, one of the things that that is probably unique about being a pastor is you're in voluntary relationships with people that you wouldn't probably normally choose to be in these voluntary relationships with. So there's a sense that these bonds remain, even if sometimes people in the church don't like you, I, I often say that to pastors, if five percent of your church doesn't isn't mad at you, you're probably not doing anything significant <laughs> but if if seventy percent's mad at you, you need to slow down. you know you need to pace yourself more um, hmm. so you obviously get a sense of relational practice among difference. It's a community of yeah. difference um yeah. in 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 the church setting. What are some things that, as a pastor, you've learned, and as a chaplain, you've learned from that that can be applied to relationships day-to-day?
1: Yeah, so I, without saying too much on this, I fully think, I think that your advice is really good about when you talk about the different percentages there. I'm going to apply that to my life. Um, when it comes to this, what I've learned through trial and error um, whether people like you or I've had people say they aren't going to come to the church anymore because of a sermon I have preached. And here's the thing. It doesn't mean that it's wrong what you're saying. It just means that maybe people aren't at that place to receive it. And so, and it doesn't mean that they're wrong from their perspective um, either. I think one of the things that I have learned is from sitting in one-on-one conversations, whether it's a sermon or just someone looking for some advice or, or sharing about their life, is that we are largely impacted by our uh, earlier experiences before we met each other. There is a whole backstory to that person that I don't know. And if I am to dismiss someone because they disagree with me or because I disagree with them without understanding their backstory, I have failed. And it is, I think Brene Brown says this, and not these, these, these exact words, but she says that it's really hard to hate people up close. In other words, when you get to know them. And hear their stories it changes everything
0: yeah no and i I totally so agree because you know i mean there are times that just people are bad and do bad things but so many times you know i hear this person did so and so and then i talk to this person is like well here's the rest of the story and you're just grieved that that uh that the whole story is not necessarily told now the title of the book again i love the title of the book i I, you know i I think people sit around and think up titles that are just so awesome i'll see you tomorrow i mean there's a sense that you're making a statement. I come from a family where um, where an argument has led to a lifelong separation. Like like uh, we don't mm-hmm. talk to that cousin anymore because they said so and so, and they're and they're cut out of our life. Matter of fact, my my children find this the strangest thing because we're not that way at all in our nuclear family. Uh, but they'll come to my family and like so. You got have, they haven't talked to them in decades. Like nope, they're cut out of their life. And so it yeah. was even the title was life-giving to me but that's a that's a choice and you're going to get hurt and so Heather oh. we got we got about a, we got about a minute and I want you to kind of weigh in and then we'll come back and continue the conversation with Seth too but help us understand why that choice matters so much when we get hurt in relationships and conversations about a minute left
2: so Michael Jordan before the Bulls became the Bulls they lost they made it to the playoffs and they lost against Orlando Magic And the trainer, so they've lost the season. Everybody's about to go home. And the trainer says to the team, just let me know when I'll see you. And Jordan says, I'll see you tomorrow. And that's actually why we named the book, I'll See You Tomorrow, because Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan, because when everybody else went home in defeat after conflict and after being beaten, Michael Jordan always went back to the gym. He never quit. And so I want us to bring that same energy into our relationships where we can say to people, hey, I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I don't agree with you, but I'll see you tomorrow. I'm still in this thing with you.
0: Fascinating. Okay, we're having a conversation mm. with Seth and Heather Day. We're going to continue our conversation with them in just a moment. Just so you know, we're pre-recording this, so we're not taking your calls this time. But uh, but as always, we'll listen forward to having those call conversations next week. But I wanted to have the opportunity to talk to them, share some of the insights from their book with you. So stay with us. Again, we're going to be talking about Building Relational Bridges. That's the subtitle. See you tomorrow, Building Relational Bridges When You Want to Quit. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. As believers in Jesus, we know our citizenship on earth is actually temporary, but the days can be challenging navigating a world in cultural decline. A.W. Tozer brings help and encouragement in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. He tackles the how-to of confronting and battling worldliness while we live in anticipation of heaven. Be better equipped to take on each day. Read Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Your copy is at MoodyPublishers.com. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. It's Stetzer here. I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and I'm a dean and professor at Wheaton College, which I say every week, but then I realize that I'm on sabbatical and I'm really none of those things. I am your radio host, and excited to be your radio host, and and, uh, and looking forward to continue our conversation with uh, Seth and Heather Day. We're talking about their new book. Um, It's called I'll See You Tomorrow, uh, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit, October 4th release date. So I'll See You Tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience, when you want to quit. Heather, you talk some about uh, weak ties and how they're just as important as strong ties. Uh, explain a little bit about weak ties and what they are, why they matter.
2: You know what's funny is so far, everybody who's read it, the, this is the biggest pushback I've gotten is on the weak ties aspect. But I obviously teach university students and there's so much angst um, about them feeling like, well, I don't have a best friend. And I have to go through my life looking for like this one best friend soulmate. And that's when I know that my world is together. And so for me, when I read the paper by Mark Granovetter, he's a sociology professor at Stanford, um, he wrote a paper called The Strength of Weak Ties. And essentially what he found is that our weak ties are as essential to our lives as our strong ties, meaning our close, intimate relationships are important. But also as important are the people that when I go to the diner for me in my town, there's this waitress there named Shirley. And when I walk in at least once a week, Shirley will say, oh, Heather, I'm so happy to see you. I haven't seen you in a week. And then we have a conversation. Shirley is a weak tie to me. And when I twist my perspective and start recognizing that Shirley is a valuable resource to my life and she brightens my mood, I feel a sense of belonging because I walk in the diner and Shirley knows my name, that's the kind of thing that weak ties bring into our lives. And so we can take some of the pressure off on having these best friends or really close family members because some of us aren't born into that. And we can realize actually the human value is on relationship itself. So yes, close ties are wonderful, but so are weak ties. And research has proven this.
0: Okay, so I got questions about that because there's okay, this, you're is like, back. this is like this <laughs> is I am, I am, because this is cause I've got lots of weak ties. Like so I, you know, Don and I, you know, we we walk for breakfast on Saturday, go downtown Wheaton to a place called Eclectic. it's where all the Wheaton people go. And, you know, all the servers, hi Ed, or hi, you know, hi, Pastor, some of them say, and I know everybody but for donna you know i'm an extrovert right so for donna she's an introvert so she i mean she's fine happy to say hi to everybody she's very social but she has 3 to 4 really close friends and they they like have deep relationship they have they have deep ties so i believe that you think heather thompson day and the research that you <laughs> quote i believe sort of supports that and i agree with you i agree with you but i wonder if seth has a similar perception uh, like I'm trying to I'm trying to draw a division in the book between the two authors, oh. husband and wife, because as an introvert, Donna would say that's fine. But what really matters is two or three deep friendships and relationships. Is there is that a difference between extroverts and introverts, Seth, or am I just am I just reading yep. it into my marriage?
1: Well, we have had this conversation and I have come to the understanding that both are true. OK, uh, definitely strong ties and weak ties are true. We're all wired differently. We all get energy from different types of relationships, group setting, uh, being in big groups, one on one. But definitely uh, I can see the value of weak ties as I really sat and thought about this. We were just at an event, mm-hmm. was around some people, weak ties, and I walked away feeling good about that. Great. Right before we came here. But also I do believe um, that those strong ties are just as valuable because we need people to really sit in the mud of life with us, and the messiness of life with us, at a different level. And so, both—I'll say both—not to to cause a division here because I think they're both true. No, I, wanted, I was enough. I was hoping
0: to make this a spicy interview where we had some division. I <laughs> know. <us>. No, I'm <laughs> choosing
1: my words carefully no. here. So. No,
0: you—that's well, what introverts do. Unlike Heather <laughs> and me, we don't as you. So, so Heather, so then uh, for the strong ties, weak ties, um, the, the strong ties now, cause you've just moved, you've relocated, you're a Colorado Christian. Now you're over in Michigan. So what Donna would say is I moved to a new place and I got 10 friends in two weeks. And for her, it's, it's a longer process because there's trust that's built to the deep ties. So how have you emphasized for both of you, we'll go to Heather first and then to Seth, as you've moved into this, even a new context, um, I'm guessing weak ties come easier to start, and then strong ties have to be built. What does that look like for you, Heather?
2: I I just want to add here, we know. Oh, okay,
0: here we go, here we go.
2: Every Christian always says that research shows people who go to church are happier because they have a weak tie relationship. Also, we know people who go to the gym, people who are about to CrossFit, all these things book club it makes me happier yep. because i have a sense right. of belonging and those are weak tie relationships so i just want to add that how do just we just in defense of weak ties
0: the the extrovert loves yes. weak ties and i'm agreeing with you i'm on your i'm on team weak ties
2: <laughs> me too
0: me too <laughs> so all right we all are I want
2: I want to take the pressure off and start saying, what if these actually have value? I think the problem is society tells us, well, if they're not your best friend, it doesn't actually matter. And I'm saying, let's challenge that thought and speak back to it and say, no, there's just value as human beings in relationship in general. And especially for Mm -hmm. Trinitarians, this should not be an outside concept. Relationship matters. God Himself does not exist outside of relationship. So we, as human mm-hmm. beings, are supposed to exist in relationship with each other, and yeah. it actually will make you happier.
0: Yep. Okay. So come to, so come to my question then. So as you're you relocated, you're as an extrovert, my guess is weak ties come more naturally for you. At least for for me. I don't want to project on you. Um, so so how do you move from those weak ties into some of the stronger ties?
2: Oh, that just is so the other day I did this at work. Um, we have a new person that started working who I know has just moved here and hasn't had any community yet. And I said, Hey, why don't we do an office lunch where we go to one of the Hibachi Japanese grills where it's not putting pressure on one singular week high. But I invited the entire community in, and then those who want to come can come. And so those types of experiences, and by the way, it takes about six to eight times of hanging out with somebody before you start to have a sense of identity of who the two of you are in a relationship. So give oh, yourself peace, give yourself patience six to eight times, but making those types of invitations, especially at the workplace, I think can be really helpful yeah. and important.
0: Good to see. Go ahead, Seth.
1: Yeah, I was just going to add to that. I think that something that, to add to what Heather's saying in this conversation, I think that what keeps us from moving beyond the weak ties to maybe a, a strong tie in our lives is that we are so, we're so fragile already, especially we don't even need to get into it, uh, you know, through COVID and everything else. and. But essentially, I think a lot of us, because I think about people I'd like to move to maybe a strong tie relationship with and when I talk to more, I think we get nervous, people in general, about rejection. Because if we've experienced that in our lives before, can we really handle someone saying, oh, no, thanks, or get the impression they don't want to be better friends with us in life? So I think having those internal conversations, they might say no, and that's okay. But coming to that understanding is important when shifting that relationship to a deeper level.
0: Fascinating, fascinating, helpful, Seth. I want to come back to you as well. Um, I, again, I love the I love the title. I'll see you tomorrow. The the sports reference, Michael Jordan. I'm sure that he's a big deal or something. I don't know about sports, so um, so. But but I love the <laughs> I love the I love the word picture that it brings. But Seth, one of the things um, you talk about is is framing what we want as a legacy, and hmm. um, why why is that so important? Why does that matter?
1: Yeah, I think something I wrote in the book, a line that just immediately. Uh, sticks out in my mind. I I wrote it, I believe, on the chapter on forgiveness, but um, I said because my father didn't hold my hand doesn't mean that I can't hold my son's. Uh, And so I think that in life when we're looking for these legacies, uh, so up until about age 18, um, so much of our life is dictated for us, and it often defines much of who we become later in life because we kind of stay stuck in that. And when we we become older and build these relationships— Many of us don't step outside of that model that was shown to us, and we carry a lot of that into our marriages and our friendships, etc. cetera. And so I think a legacy comes from understanding that when we become adults, we have the ability, this new sense of autonomy that we don't often acknowledge. And because something wasn't given to us or modeled for us, a hand of ours, in other words, wasn't held when we were a child. We can then do that for someone else. So I think that we leave a legacy in our life, whatever space that looks like, workplace, friendship, father-son, marriage, whatever it looks like. We leave a legacy um, by continuing to do better in life, essentially.
0: Yeah, I guess when when I think about a legacy, I was actually—who was was I talking about this recently? Eric Geiger is a pastor in California, and we were just talking about, actually, the legacy of Tim Keller. We said, now that's someone who's going to leave a legacy— but you know, for and, and Eric and I were saying we're probably not leaving a legacy like Tim Keller. But we, the way sure. we were defining legacy in that conversation, was something that someone was reading. You know, we're pastors, so someone someone was reading your sure. sermons a hundred years from now if the Lord hadn't returned. I see. Uh, but there's there's more than just the legacy of, you know, of the impact you make a hundred years ago. That that legacy is sure. is relational, and that's such a key thing. Again, mm-hmm. building, but but it takes that relational resilience. So. So when you, if you're going to look back in the relationships that you've built and say that's the legacy, what what are people going to look back and say? Here's what Seth, here's what Heather did that created that kind of legacy in relationships. How's that different? Does that make sense? It does. I
1: think that it. Yeah, this is this is a good question. I think that I think the legacy is is that we simply look beyond. Um, we look beyond ourselves. And the sense of, Kristen Neff writes a lot about this concept of self-compassion, and the legacy is that we have this shared humanity in that the way that we treat ourselves and in the way that we treat our others doesn't just impact our circles, but essentially creates this trickle effect in the world. And that is something that will far outlive us, is when we are kind to ourselves and we extend that kindness and even say forgiveness to people um, that is something that will far outlive us because the impacts of that are seen far beyond our generation we don't know the impacts of that 20 years down the road
0: fascinating so and that again talking about a legacy typically you say something like 20 years down the road or whatever else sure. it may be as a par- as a parent i think of my children as a husband i think of the marriage relationships heather got about 30 seconds to before we need to to come to the bottom of the hour Um, One of the things that I want us to start talking about a little bit is the idea of forgiveness and where forgiveness fits in this. Give us a little introduction, 30-second introduction to that, and then let's talk more about it. Why does forgiveness matter?
2: Uh, Seth is going to talk about that a lot more, but essentially people who are forgiven tend to forgive more, and yet nobody wants to forgive others. But forgiveness is born from forgiveness.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with Seth and Heather Day in just a moment. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're back, Ed Stetzer, live. Um, we're not taking your calls today. This is actually a pre-recorded show. We wanted to get before you the uh, authors of this book that I think is going to be super helpful for people. It's uh, called "I'll See You Tomorrow: Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit." Just for the break, we were talking about forgiveness. Heather kind of introduced it. Said Seth was going to share more. Seth, talk about the play Talk to us about the place of forgiveness in this relational resilience conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to open with a very short story. I'll give you the very short version of this. Um, we talk more about it in the book. But several years ago, I was helping do a little monthly seminar um, at the Center for the Homeless in South Indiana. And there was a group of people there, and we were talking, and we were discussing the concept of um, if you could have one thing before you die, what would that look like in your life? And some people were saying, I'd like to go on a cruise. Some said, I would like to go – back to school. Another person said, I want to go see this family member I haven't seen in a long time. And then it came to this one gentleman there. And the room kind of fell silent. You could tell that he was very emotional. And everybody just slowed down, and all eyes were on him. And what he said next was this. He said, I don't know if my family would receive it. I don't know if they know how sorry i am i don't know if this is even possible he said the one thing that i would want before i die is to be forgiven is to be forgiven and this was a man in his uh, upper 70s or so the one thing that i would want before i die is to be forgiven i think that at the core of humanity when we mess up in life we want to know that we are somehow reconciled to god and even to each other, if possible. And on the topic of forgiveness, Karen Schwartz, the Director of Adult Mood Disorders Consultation Clinic at John Hopkins Hospital, said this, and this is significant. She said that studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reach huge rewards for our own health. It can lower the risk of heart attack. It can improve cholesterol levels and sleep. It can literally reduce pain and blood pressure, anxiety, depression, and stress. So this isn't something that we just desire. It's something that our souls and our bodies and our spirits need. And to add to that, forgiveness, ultimately, when we give it to people who we don't feel really deserve it, it's about restoring A, restoring us to ourselves, as we've just noted. And it's about giving that person, if we can get uh, maybe a more of a biblical sense here, giving that person back to God and giving that anger back to God and giving that pain back to God. And I know that is so much easier said than done. But when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, I think that it is something that um, God asks us to do, whatever that looks like in our lives. And that doesn't mean that we don't put up boundaries with people that are unsafe. It means that we're caring for ourselves as well.
0: Mm, I, I guess, and I want to say that, you know, I like the book. I, I, read, I read the book a while ago because I, I wrote an endorsement for it. Um, I, I feel a little bit like you guys are uh, missing the cultural moment. We are not in the forgiveness moment. We're in the shaming sure. one another moment. We're in, mm-hmm. and so I mean, it's very countercultural in what you're saying, which is one of the reasons that I I like it. It it, it just it just smells of gospel, which pushes us mm. away from. This moment we're in, we're in a time of shaming people that make mistakes, of dividing and then avoiding people with whom we disagree. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know that ends well for our country. It certainly doesn't end well for relationships. And so, again, it's yet, we all know, forgiveness is central to our understanding of the Christian faith. But, man, you just don't see a lot of that. So how do we, uh, Heather, I'll go to you, how do we extend forgiveness especially to people who, well, don't deserve it. And we're in a time when we're making sure people get the shame they deserve, not the forgiveness that they don't.
2: What Seth quotes in his research that, for me, was really impactful was that people who are forgiven then become more likely to forgive. And this is literally exactly Absolutely. what he with Jesus. This is exactly what he says mm. about the woman who has washed his feet. And he says, who do you think has been forgiven more, right? Or And then who do you think loves more? And so you're right that this is culturally not acceptable, but Second Corinthians 5.16, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. We are supposed to be a part of this idea of reconciliation, and this is extremely important to God. And I want to say this, Beth Moore, who wrote the foreword for this book, something she said that for me was like, So convicting. She said, if God is love, then anti God is hate. Mm. And so, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that the God that we claim to worship is love, and yet we feel so committed to our anger and our hate? I think at some point, something has to go on the altar.
0: Mm. Mm. But again, again, are you? I don't think you're reading the room. (laughs) This is not, (laughs) uh, you know. And, and again, I mean, gosh, particularly, you know, Heather, you're a communications professor. You're active on Twitter. I changed the way I tweet watching you tweet. I told you that last time I, when I was on your podcast, Viral Jesus. By the way, I haven't mentioned much of the podcast. It's called Viral Jesus. If you just Google it, you'll, you'll be able to find it. It's also linked if you go to EdStetzerLive.com, all the links to like I'm That Wife, that uh, online community, Viral Jesus, they're all there. But, but, but again, it's, it's, it's a bit like there's a tidal wave coming in. Of shame, and we're not going to forgive people, and we're always going to assume the worst. I sometimes just tweet, "I tweet always assume the worst." Twitter proverb, you know. And so, because that's kind of what it is. So our, I mean, again, I see this tidal wave, and I see you because I, I, I've been, I've been, I've had dinner with the day, so I know them. So I, I see you guys like standing there holding the book up while the tidal waves comes rushing in. So, yeah. so what would it look like if people were to? To push against that prevailing narrative yeah. of of anger and division and more and really, what would it look like if they were to if they were to apply some of the principles of I'll see you tomorrow? Let's let's go to Seth and then we'll go to Heather.
1: Yeah. When you were talking earlier, you mentioned something about your family. Um, I, I, I believe you were. You're mentioning some family contacts yeah. or something. Um, yep. And it reminded me, oh man, just even a couple months ago, of an experience that I had at a wedding that I was at. So this book is just, just not for the reader. It's it's for Heather and I, because these are real things that we've been struggling, and just want to say that, and working through ourselves. So we, we prayed over these pages. And so I was at a wedding, and there was a cousin there that I had not talked to in 10 years that I grew up with. I mean, every single weekend, we were at each other's house. We were really, really good friends. We had a falling out um, When I don't know, maybe, yeah, it was over a decade ago, and we got on the phone, we kind of had our way with each other, told each other what we thought, and we never spoke again. And I had carried that with me for 10 years. Hmm. I had not seen that person. I wondered if I go to this family function, are they going to be there? And I'm sure on the other end that they probably felt the same way. Even even hearing they were going to be there stirred a little bit of anxiety because we had such a bad falling out of these two kind of just kind of let loose on each other. And I feel really bad about that, that age. But I saw him at a wedding and he came up to me and we're totally different spaces now in life. And at the end of the wedding, you know, we small talked. And at the end of the wedding, he put his arm on me. And he gave me a hug.
0: Hmm.
1: And without saying much more than this, he said, it's really good to see you. Let's Hmm. never let that happen again. Wow. And what I think, Ed, is how many people are more isolated than they need to be, because we haven't offered mm-hmm. that forgiveness to each other. He comes up to me and offers that kind of forgiveness. For me, I don't know if I have experienced the gospel this last summer like I experienced it through my cousin who came up to me and said that.
0: Powerful. Let's continue our conversation with uh, Seth and Heather Thompson in just, uh, Day in just a moment. Conversation here about well, well, we just kind of ended our last segment talking about forgiveness, but the bigger context is in and around relationship. The book we're talking about is "I'll See You Tomorrow: Building Relational Resilience." When you want to quit, uh, the authors are Seth and Heather Day, and friends friends of mine. So glad to have them on the program. We're not taking your calls because we are uh, pre-recording this uh, as well. So strong pointing to forgiveness. I want to make sure we cover some of the other themes and topics in the book. So Heather, I want to come to you. Uh, Would you mind fleshing out for us what you mean uh, by the term, by the phrase shutdown? Uh, It's it's pretty important to understand. How do we recognize it in ourselves and others and more? Explain that to us.
2: Oh, yes. Um, Recent study came out that essentially, I think it's from the National Safety Council. It said three out of five Americans say that they are more exhausted now than they've ever been. And that for me was really convicting because I feel it in my own life and I want to offer all of ourselves some grace and compassion because we all know that relationships make us better. Like, I don't think I have to argue that point. We know that it's true, but all of us are exhausted. And that's just the reality. We are exhausted. We are overworking. That's a whole other conversation. We have experienced so much stress, COVID, all these things that I just think it feels safer and easier to just go turn on Netflix for three hours after work and not have to deal with anybody. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that. But I do want to say your, rel- your health, your physical health is more determined by your relationships than the food you eat, the exercise program you are on and the genes you have inherited. There is nothing more important than your relationships. And also studies show like when it comes to our work, we are less important than what we do is who we are doing it with. So the Hmm. thing about the shutdown is that we are filled with stress. So our brains start to shut down in order to protect us from all the stress that we're experiencing. And my fear is that in the shutdown, We aren't realizing that the only thing that could pull us out of this feeling of numb and exhaustion is each other. And so we'd rather grab technology, which is a really poor substitute for actual relationship for human beings. We'd rather grab technology than reach for each other. And I'm saying to people, hey, we have a massive cultural problem at this moment.
0: Yeah, no question. No question. And I, and I think, uh, again, I think that the tidal wave coming in, seeing you two holding the book up at Standing uh, Thwart, the tidal wave, is is a good picture. Because I think it's important, but I, I hope for, for our listeners here at Ed Setter Live, that they're part of the solution. Not just the solution in our culture, though, I think it's part of that. Really the solution in their own hearts, in their own souls. Heather, I can't, I don't want to, you know, said Sarah's story just before, in the last segment about as a pastor and this relational reconciliation that was there. Um, I know some of your story, uh, you know, growing up in a racial family. You've tweeted about this. I think we talked about this when I interviewed you for something else, or maybe I don't remember. But um, there's this reconciliation that happened between uh, your mother and her parents. That is very significant to you in social media, the book, and other places as well. Why do you think that informs, or how do you think that informs what you do as a, now as a communicator?
2: You want to know that story, and I'll I'll just tell it really briefly. Um, Essentially, my dad is black, my mom is white, and my grandparents did not go to my parents' wedding. So the grandparents that I grew up with, and my grandpa was my, he's passed away, but he was my greatest champion. I mean, he used to keep my very first book, which honestly wasn't even a good book. And he would keep it in the back of his pants pocket. And every time he went to have coffee with his friends, he would pull it out. He'd show the waitress. He told everybody about his granddaughter's book. So i he walked me down the aisle at my wedding because my dad married Seth and I. But so I grew up my whole life with this incredible relationship with my grandfather, and he is the exact same man who didn't go to his own daughter's wedding. And so when you say, Ed, I am very aware that this message isn't popular because we want people to receive the penalty of their own sin. Um, But my parents decided to choose reconciliation with my grandparents. They they first of all, they admitted that they were wrong, they repented, and then they made steps to turn the other way. And that decision changed the life of me and my sister growing up because we had grandparents who loved us. And that's all I ever knew them as. So the reality is, unfortunately, grace belongs to people who don't deserve it. And that's why we call it grace. And yes, it's absolutely a scandal, but that's why for the Christian, this is an upside down kingdom that we choose to be a part of when we graft ourselves in through Jesus Christ and what he's done.
0: Yeah. Seth, you actually share some of your own child experiences and kind of they speak into your future relationship. And, and actually, you talk about the ACEs assessment, which, I, which I've recently been talking about and engaging as well. Talk to us a little bit about, well, your own journey, how that fits into your own life, and maybe explain the, sure. the assessment as well.
1: Yeah. So in short, um, I think I think the grief part of my life, so grew up without a father or in and out of prison a lot of his life. And in many ways, I, I held that resentment for many years. But as I've gotten older, I've come to understand, well, he did not have a very good model himself. And so it's helped me a lot in the healing process and in the forgiveness pro- process, knowing that, hey, he can only do the best that perhaps he's been shown. Um, so I've been able to extend a little more grace to him. doesn't mean that it wasn't hurtful. And that did affect me uh, in a big way growing up, and I don't want to dismiss that for anyone who's, who's been hurt by a parent. Uh, but then also I think another part of my story is the grief part of it. I think it hit it just a, a crucial part of my development in high school, losing a brother to cancer. And I've never experienced anything like that, and I didn't realize kind of how that was going to affect me for the years to come. It took me about seven years to regain myself after that I mean I literally uh, for me, the death was violent it was it was painful um, and it took me about seven years to regain a sense of normalcy in life if we use the word normalcy, what that looks like and through some of these experiences, and I don't share them all in the book, and, and some other experiences that I've went through in life, um, I found a, a passion with human service counseling. And one of the things that I write about, just hoping to encourage those who are struggling, is the ACE score or, or the ACE questionnaire. And essentially, it's about it's 10 questions, and they, they range from questions like this. I can share one of, one of them for you. Did a parent swear at you or did another in the household Swear at you, insult you, put you down. Were you ever push, slapped, uh, pushed, slapped, pushed when, when you were a child by a parent? In the past five years, there's a lot of questions about parents. Were you t- touched inappropriately? So it goes through these, essentially, these, these 10 really crucial questions, and then you get a, a score at the end of those 10 questions. And based on that score, it helps you to better understand, perhaps, how those experiences have impacted you. So the higher the score, the higher the risk. And we talk in the book about how um, you've come into higher health risk factors and heart disease and all these other things based on your score. And the hope is, by sharing my own story and the ACE uh, questionnaire, is that it can bring people to an understanding that, wait a minute, there have been things in my life that are out of control. Let me hopefully go talk to someone, who a trained professional, about this so that I can work through some of these things and understand that these aren't just my quirks, but may, that I, why I am the way I am today. But maybe it's because of some childhood trauma. Mm.
0: And we—I we, don't know—I said at the beginning, but a, ACE—it's a, Aces when you talk about. Oh, adverse it's childhood averse, experiences. Yeah. Right, averse, adverse experiences. Right, adverse childhood experiences, and so um, so it's the idea of things you experience. It's a it's a scale of one to ten. I've taken the test. Others have taken the test, uh, and it kind of speaks to some of the journey that you go through. That does impact sure. you relationally later. So, but in, the, yeah. but in the midst of all that, you share some of your own, your own journey. Yeah. How has it been helpful in your life, just understanding more, or how has it been helpful?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's helping because I, I think for anyone who scores maybe higher on the test, um, it, brings, it brings understanding into why you are the way you are. Why do I, so for example, why do I shy away from male relationships? Now am I. With, old, with men who, who could be mentor figures um, or perhaps a father figure in my teen years. Why do, I, why do I avoid certain situations like that and kind of put up these walls of defense? And why does my anxiety level rise in certain situations or, or for the person who's taking it in your situation? Maybe there's a trigger in that situation. And so having a better understanding of this helps us to, uh, I would say, find healing and find resources for our lives
0: fessing fessing OK. So, um, Heather, we got just a little bit left and I want you to kind of point us to why the kind of relational work here matters so much.
2: So I think America is in a relational crisis. That's why it matters. There was a study mm. that said it was by Gallup and it said um, You asked Americans, what do you do when you're going through a difficult time? And only 15% of Americans said that they turned to a friend. And less, I think it's even less, it's like 10% said they turned to a family member. 81% of Americans said, when I'm going through a hard time, I Google it. That's how I get through my divorce. That's how I get through this miscarriage. That's how I get through my conflict. And it's, We are not supposed to, we are relational beings, we are wired and created and existing in relationship and yet we're turning to technology instead of real life people. And so to me, this is a crisis, we need each other and it's worth putting in the effort to figure out how do I have at least a strong weak tie network if I'm not able to access a a strong tie network.
0: Fascinating, fascinating, an important conversation, and so thankful for you guys, again, standing athwart the tidal wave. <laughs> uh, the book is is again called I'll See You Tomorrow, Building Relational Resilience When You Want to Quit. Brand new, October 4th release, um, and again, my, my guests, I've actually had the privilege of seeing them relate to one another and talking about some of these things as well. So again, Seth Day, pastor and campus chaplain, Heather Thompson Day, communications professor, speaker, writer, and more. Thank you for listening to Ed Stetzer Live. We didn't take your calls today because this is pre-recorded, but as always, our team's working to make this happen. So let me thank Courtney Young, my engineer, my producer, Karen Hendren, all doing good work. If you want to hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com or go to the Moody Radio app. And remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.